All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this privilege, this honor of gathering together as family, Father, in the unity of faith, faith that you've provided, especially for this little church on a hill, Father, in North Titan, Massachusetts. What a beacon of light it is. Thank you for letting us and allowing us to partake in spreading the good news from this institution, this building, this place of worship and fellowship, Father. What a privilege it is to be able to gather here on an evening like this while the rest of the world just seems to be rotting away, Father. It breaks our hearts, but we understand that it's a, a righteous thing to understand and that you've ordained it. We pray for those that are still ill in our congregation. Our hearts go out to them. Our prayers go out to them. We pray for those, most of all, that are still lost, that need to find their way before it's too late, Father. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this such a precious reality in our lives. Father, we just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin. The emphasis has been on deceitfulness, um, and that's where we're going to keep going with this. From Sunday, till, uh, from Sunday and Tuesday, I should say, uh, we had this idea of a double vector, or at least a vector um, that wasn't just standing still, that understanding sin means that not only is sin negative against holiness, not only is it antithetical to holiness, it is positive for depravity. It doesn't just move away from holiness, it actually moves towards something. So it's not aggress- not just aggressively moving away from holiness, but aggressively uh, and actively moving towards depravity, which has its own um, sort of uh, description. So this means we must treat sin as an active force and an influence in our lives, not just something that's passive, not just, okay, I'm going to sit here and maybe I'll be holy today and maybe I won't. We have to actually look at sin as something that is actively going towards depravity with its own agenda. That's a very different thought process than sort of hanging out here and sort of neutral, you know, if you drive a standard in neutral where there's no influence or force. That's never the case with sin. Not only does it go away from Christ, but it actually has a direction, a positive vector, if you would, if you want to get into physics again, um, an active force or influence in our lives. For unbelievers, it is the dominating factor of their lives. They have no other choice. They actually know no different. They are dominated by this vector, if you would, towards depravity. For believers, we are merely influenced. And um, like Paul would say, who would free me from this body of death? Um, the imagery is that we're held hostage in a sense, that this body, this, you know, this flesh of old um, holds us hostage. We're sort of wrapped in it. Um, but yet, uh, we are not dominated by it. We are not under the sovereignty of it the way unbelievers are. So for we believers, we are merely influenced uh, by it, held hostage in a sense against the will of our new creature. Remember, we're supposed to identify 
with the new creature. Here's the point that the Spirit's been making. Sin isn't ambivalent. Ambivalent just means, you know, meh, M-E-H. Like, meh, whatever. It's not like that. It's not ambivalent. It's active. It's forceful. It's aggressive. It has intentions towards depravity. So it's not passive, though it'd like you to believe it is. It is quite active, energized, and encouraged. Encouraged. Its fruit is born of a seed. Old English born, by the way. I like that. Its fruit is born of a seed described at the fall. Again, sin is not ambivalent. We, we should not ever think of sin as that way, as just sort of passive. It's not passive, although it would like you to believe it is, because then you would sort of stop uh, shining light in its direction. It, you would stop investigating. You would stop examining yourself uh, in the deep recesses of your own soul. So again, it's not passive, though I'd like you to believe it is. It is quite active, energized, and encouraged, particularly by the kingdom of darkness. Uh, its fruit is born of a seed described at the fall, Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 57.20-21, Matthew 13.37-39, 1 John 5.18-19. Go to Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, where we see the seed. We'll just spend a few moments on the idea of the seed that was introduced, sort of the relative nature between one seed and another. Genesis 3.15. So this is after the fall, part of God's curse. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent here, and between your seed... And her seed. He will bruise, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So, in between your seed and her seed, we have two seeds. So, here we have the instantiation of the two seeds side by side in Holy Scripture. And the basic facts about them have been established relative to one another. The base, uh, the primitive there is that these two seeds are going to be against each other. I will put enmity between them. They're not going to like each other. They're going to oppose each other, etc. And so Satan's seed and her seed, which is Jesus Christ, obviously are going to be at odds. So those are the basic facts. And the primitive is that relative to one another, they oppose each other. One seed sows peace, the other chaos and distress. Go to Isaiah 57, verse 20. One seed sows peace, the other chaos and distress. But I want you to see in Isaiah 57, 20, the idea, the notion, the nature of the evil seed and what it does. It's not just passive. It's not just against holiness. You'll see a manifestation of it here. Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked, those that are of that seed, the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. Do you understand? That seed cannot sit still. It's not ambivalent. It doesn't just sit there. It cannot be quiet. It's always in motion. It's chaotic. So, But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud, make things unclear, confusing, etc., etc. There is no peace, says my God. For the wicked. There you go. 
That's the fruit of that seed. There is no peace for the wicked. The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And so we have sort of a manifestation of the nature of that sea, the nature of sin and depravity. It cannot be quiet. That's why a person who is uh, unsaved or a person even that is saved, it's struggling, there's no peace in them. That's one of the great barometers in your own litmus test in your own life. If you are lacking peace right now, think about right now in your life, something to do with sin has overtaken you. Whatever area of your life where you're uh, in pain, where you're anxious, where you don't have God's peace, where maybe your life is chaotic, that's indicative of that seed. Because Jesus Christ says, I'll give you my peace. And that's antithetical to what we see here in Isaiah 57, 20. You see? And that's what we have to think about, even. that There may not be that uh, overt sin that you can point to. Well, I didn't steal anything today. Well, good for you. Why are you miserable? No, for real. Why are you miserable? You didn't steal anything. You didn't quote sin. You, don't have your, you didn't have a check mark on your do not do list. Why are you miserable? Why are you unsettled? Why can't you settle down? Why don't you have peace? That's the fruit of sin. That's the fruit of that seed. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Again, the point on the board, sin isn't ambivalent. It's not going to leave you alone. It's not passive, though I'd like you to believe it is. It is quite active, energized, and encouraged. Its fruit is born of seed described at the fall. These are things that God promised. Go to Matthew 13, 37. Matthew 13, 37. Matthew 13, 37. More on the seed. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them, and this is relative to the evil seed from Genesis 3.15, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So again, we have this sort of um, uh, contradistinction, I guess is what you could call it, or the, this mutual exclusive opposition. I don't know how, how you care to think about it, but these two seeds are against one another, and this is just another manifestation from the lips of Jesus Christ on what it looks like. That we're both in the same world, wheat and tares. That we grow up together, sometimes even in the same church. But we have different seeds, if you would. We're after our own kind. As believers, we are able to look backwards from where it is we have come from as children of wrath and find some more light, some more truth on this topic. Go to Ephesians 2, verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. So this seed analogy uh, carries throughout the whole Bible. We know this already, but this is just sort of like a refresher course here this evening to sort of um, 
amplify the idea that sin is not ambivalent, that it doesn't sit still, that it uh, has enmity, that it's active, that it's not passive. Ephesians 2.1, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. This is what we have to look at. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What do you see in verses 2 and 3? What you see there is a direction and a force towards depravity. You see, it's not ambivalence. It's, he doesn't say, oh, you just weren't holy. He says, you are going this way as children of wrath by your very nature. You are going this direction towards depravity. That's what we see, and that makes total sense because of what we learned in a primitive way in Genesis 3.15. That's what's supposed to happen. If Jesus is in this direction, the other seed is in that direction. And it's positive in its direction and its force. Satan is the god of this world, and the world is his field, where he specializes in sowing his unholy seed. To Jesus' parable of the sower, we wheat have been placed in the same field with the tares, which, let's face it, can make living in this world a bit challenging. Go to 1 John 5.18. 1 John 5.18. So we are not the only sowers, so to speak. Jesus Christ isn't the only one who sows seed. Satan does as well. Him after his own kind. Jesus after his own kind. 1 John 5.18 We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Again, the point that's just being amplified is up here on the board. Sin isn't ambivalent. Look around you. Is the world aggressive or not? Is the world accelerating towards depravity or not? Of course it is. Does it have a direction? Is it just ambivalent? Is it like, meh? No. It actually is anti-Christ. Anti-Christ. I'm against you, I'm going in that direction. And not only am I against you, but I'm accelerating in that direction. I'm pursuing the end goal of depravity. I may not call it that, because that's the deceitfulness of sin. I call it good and evil, remember the wrong ballpark. I call it good and evil, I have my own little metrics. You know, I'm a good guy, and I'm, you know, I walked an old lady across the street, and I did all this stuff. Um... I have my own little metrics, I have my own little measuring sticks and all that stuff, my own little religions even, even though they're counterfeit, false religions. Nonetheless, all of that, as God sees it, is towards depravity. Because it's not towards Christ. So it's not ambivalent, it's not passive, it would like you to think it is. It's active, it's energized, it's encouraged. And as we just noted, its fruit is born of a seed described at the fall. So we have to concentrate on this a little bit. This is where we've taken pause several times now in our curriculum. Sin actually wants to convince you 
that you are doing good. I just kind of alluded to that. Sin actually wants to convince you that you are, quote, doing good. So what some of you need to do in your religious, I don't mean to be degrading, you know, speaking the wrong way, but in your religious heads, your religious little heads I have here in my notes, is reject the notion that, quote, doing good is proof enough. That doing good is proof enough. So let's reflect on this and concentrate. For any counterfeit to be effective in its cause, it must look the part in the majority of ways. Otherwise, it's not of the same kind. It doesn't look the same. It's never going to pass off as the real thing. Any counterfeit to be effective in its cause, I mean, the idea is to counterfeit, right? It must look the part in the majority of ways. What this means up here on the board, and this has everything to do with the deceitfulness of sin, sin may not necessarily show itself outwardly by keeping a believer from doing good. Instead, it may simply dig deeper into that person's soul. The person thinks, oh, sin must be dormant in me. That is a dangerous lie. You might say, but look at all the good I'm doing. I'm, say, I must be like, you know, I must have conquered sin. No, you didn't. Your flesh gets worse and worse every day. It gets more intelligent. It gets more educated. And when you give something evil more information, you know what that gives it the ability to be? More lawyering, more manipulating, more justification, more ability to justify garbage. That's all we do. <laughs> we look at little kids and like, oh, you know, look at these little brats, you know. We're just big brats. We're just more manipulative, more polished, right? Right? <laughs> DJ's laughing. Because that's exactly what we do. We polish ourselves so that we're not quite as identifiable as jackasses, as manipulators, as people that we just want what we want. I've had so many conversations over the past couple of weeks on this, on what's coming from the pulpit. And it really is just about this. We just want what we want. Right? We want what we want. We justify what we want. We even pray cockeyed. Lord, please, I'm carrying my cross. I'm suffering for Jesus. Are you, though? You sure you're not reaping what you've sowed? You sure this isn't about some really bad decisions you've made along the way? Now, God's not vindictive. He's gracious, gracious and merciful. Thank God you're still alive. Thank God He's given you the opportunity to bring glory to Him, even though you've been a complete train wreck your whole life. That's the right thinking. See, we don't like to think that way, though. We like to think, I'm bearing a cross, or I got this big cross. But it's a, as you'll read in the blog, it's a counterfeit cross. It's a cross that you manufactured in your own life. And then you slung yourself up there, you're screaming and yelling, saying, Oh, you know, uh, 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 God, you know, if your will be done. Seriously? Seriously? You manufacture a counterfeit cross, you sling yourself up there, you're screaming and moaning like an idiot. And you're telling the world you're carrying a cross and you're suffering for Jesus. Are you sure about that? Are you sure that the things you're praying for, it's not just you're looking for a Band-Aid? Are you looking for deliverance or are you looking for just relief? 
Those are big questions. Amazing conversations I've been having with people all week, really. Again, the deceitfulness of sin. Sin may not necessarily show itself outwardly by keeping a believer from ever doing good. It might even, you know, give you a little slack from fishing terms. You know, let the line out a little bit before it <clears throat> sets its hook. Instead, it may simply dig deeper into the person's soul. The person thinks, oh, sin must be dormant in me. That is a dangerous lie. This is why we need to shine the light in the deepest recesses of our souls. On Sunday, I used the magnetic forces analogy. Put two magnets close enough together and one of them moves eventually. The concept of sin includes the forces long before any movement occurs. Right? Think about magnets. Just because you, if you put two magnets together, the only thing that keeps one, the one that's not stationary, the one that's not in your hand, from moving is friction. If you, move the, if you remove the friction, it's going to move. It's going to move. Why? Because magnetic force is always there. That's like sin. You may not move and sin overtly, but the pressure, the influence of sin is always there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about outward versus inward movement anyways. So I use this magnetic forces analogy. The concept of sin, remember, includes the forces long before any movement occurs. The influences are very real. In theology, we call these influences temptations. From man's perspective, what the Spirit's been pointing out is that there are two different kinds of movement. Now listen, this is what the Spirit's been pointing out. A religious person does not want to hear what I'm about to say. There are two different kinds of movement. Religion only focuses on one, outward. We need to focus on the other also, inward. There's outward movement, Overt sinning, let's call it. And there's inward movement. Small fluctuations. Bad um, conclusions. Bad thinking. The influence of sin is nudging you. And this is all happening outside of some laundry list, you see. And all <laughs> a manipulative person is always trying to get others to look at the laundry list. I haven't done this, I haven't done this, I haven't done this, and I haven't done this. Yeah, but this side of you, on the inward side of you, you're a ravenous wolf, just waiting for your opportunity. Just waiting. And sin's, you know, calculating the whole thing behind the scenes. And you're letting it. You're engaging with it. You're thinking that way. So there's two different kinds of movement when it comes to the influences of sin, there's the overt side or the outward side, and there's the inward side. Religious people only want to focus on the outward. We need to also focus on the inward. Inward movement is what affects our hearts and affections. Inward movement is what affects our hearts and our affections. Is it a sin... 
to love Jesus a little less and someone else a little more. Is that a sin? You bet it is. Hard to identify, though, isn't it? Is it a sin to turn your affections away from the holy God of the universe to anything or anyone else? It is. See, we don't want to talk about that stuff, though. It's too um, convicting, maybe? There's no room to wiggle anymore? You mean our affections are on the line? Yep, your affections, of all things, are on the line. So inward movement is what affects our hearts and affections. And Satan, the kingdom of darkness, sin itself, if we were to personify it, knows well enough that if it can get the inward side of you, the outward is a layup. If it can get your affections, the direction, the ultimate overt sinning is a layup. This is why the spirits had our attention turned to the direction of our affections. The new creature is 100% attracted to Christ, of course. The old creature, the old self, is 100% repelled from Christ and even has a positive direction towards depravity. That's been the, the discussion lately. It's gotten so far that we're able to extend or extrapolate that direction into a key component of our theology, which is the sovereignty of God. How sin usurps sovereignty. For sin to be most effective, it must grab hold of our affections. If it has our affections, it has our attention, our direction, our, quote, love even, though it's not godly love, with our, quote, love comes our obedience, which essentially describes a sovereign master-slave relationship. You see, at the end of the day, why do you think um, the Bible describes sin as adultery? Because in adultery, there's always a, a seduction. Someone, either one or both parties, are seducing the other away from what is godly. And righteous. That's what seduction is. And that completely annihilates the direction towards the holy, sovereign God of the universe. Our Lord and Savior, our Master, capital M. How does that happen? Get someone's affections. The world starts batting its eyelashes at you. Hey, you're, hey, you're kind of cute. I kind of like you. Next thing you know, little by little, dun, 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 dun. next thing you know, you're infatuated with someone or something from the world. That's the one I can never understand. How the hell does a, un, as a believer fall in love with an unbeliever? That one I never understand. I don't get it at all. It makes me think a couple of things I'm not going to share. You can probably imagine what I'm thinking. I don't understand it. I don't understand how that happens. Why does that person have any affection whatsoever for someone that's even questionable? 
towards Jesus Christ. Seriously, I don't understand that part of it. How can that possibly be godly? Do you really think that God's going to bring that into the person's life? Jesus Christ is trying to sow a seed of peace. What kind of peace, what kind of fellowship does a believer have with someone who lives a chaotic life? Someone who's moving towards depravity and away from Christ altogether. Where does that relationship even spawn other than in the unholiest parts of a believer, if they're even a believer? Do you know what I'm saying? That's the nature and the ugliness and the grotesqueness and the selfishness of sin. And people will, people, there might be someone listening to my voice right now that's been justifying it right now. Calling something love or, or some kind of attractiveness or affection towards something unholy. And sin saying, it's all good. It's all good. I'll take this angle. I'll take this angle because I know if I got your affections, I got everything, including your, your, your uh, allegiance. That's how it works. And that's what the Spirit's saying. It's going really deep and saying, where are your affections? Where is the direction of your affections? Are they towards Christ? So again, for sin to be most effective, it must grab hold of our affections. If it has our affections, it has our attention, our direction, our, quote, love. With our love comes our obedience, which essentially describes a sovereign master-slave relationship, Ephesians 5, 6 to 10. This is why we see exhortation after exhortation in the Bible about walking as we ought to. Walking as we ought to. It means to have a direction that is proof of our affections for Christ. Walk by means of the Spirit. Walk this way. Walk towards me. Follow me, said Jesus Christ. There's always a direction, you see. And what sets your direction other than your affections? I love Jesus. I, I want to go where He goes. If this is where He wants me to go, if He wants me to go out in the middle of a field in the middle of a desert for a while read your bible it's happened multiple times he wants me to go over here for, for no apparent reason i gotta go what other reason would you follow someone if you have no affections for them so it means walking means to have a direction that is proof of our affections for christ in many cases as we've noted over the years it is right to imagine a soldier marching forward based on his marching orders. You know, having been a, 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 a grunt pretty much myself, you know, that's what they drill into you. The most important thing to a soldier is to complete the mission and follow the commands of their CO. That's why if you're ever going to be a leader in the military, you best have the and I say this loosely, the affections of those that are under your command. They'll die for you. They'll charge any hill for you. They won't, there won't be any mutiny. 
They'll follow your commands without question. Why? Because they trust you. They have affection for you. You're their, they're, you're their officer. What do you want me to do? All right, let's do it. Our commanding officer is our great shepherd who says, walk as children of light. Go to Ephesians 5, 6. Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, 6. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, excuse me, (coughs) the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Don't be partakers with those idiots, those morons, who have no compass whatsoever, who can't even comprehend spiritually appraised things. Do you understand the the, the level of their depravity? It's not like they're kind of um, against Christ, even though they say, oh, it's good, you can have Christ, and they don't seem uh, objectionable against Christ. Oh, they hate Christ. They're just too stupid to realize it. They can't put it into words because they don't have the contrast in view. You do. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're inside of a box. Outside of the box is you with Jesus Christ. They can't see beyond the boundaries of the box. They don't understand the chasm between the box and Jesus Christ. They don't understand their depravity because in their little world, they have their own little metrics between so-called good and evil. And they're not that far apart. You know what I'm saying? A bad person can become good over time. You know, when they get that program, got in that program, the little choo-choo that could, right? And you have unbelievers making good with their life. They were bad, now they're making good. Hooray! And everybody cheers, right? Yay! They're still totally depraved and infinitely away from Jesus Christ. So we can never be shocked that they don't understand what the heck you're talking about if you talk about these kinds of things with them. But the Bible says, do not be partakers with them. They're blind. You're not. They're walking in the only direction they know. You know better. What fellowship do you have with them? That's scripture, right? What fellowship is light with darkness? Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord in many ways... Verse 10 captures the essence of our existence as believers here on earth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Lord, show me my heart. Show me if there's any hurt in me. Show me my ways. Judge me. Show me. That's, I'm, I'm convinced that's the primary reason why David is described a man after God's own heart. Because even though he failed miserably, his, his prayer was always, I just want to please you. I'd rather be under your judgment any day of the week. 
Against you, Lord, and you alone I've sinned. That's, the, that's what true humility looks like. True humility is not aw shucks. True humility is do I really have affection? Do I want to be pleasing? Do I want to know where I'm wrong? Do I want to understand I'm hurting the one I love the most in this world? Don't understand these kinds of things. That's Ephesians 5.10. So in many ways, it captures the essence of our existence as believers here on earth. Again, up here on the board, walking means to have a direction that is proof of our affections for Christ. It also establishes who is sovereign in our lives. In other words, which direction are you walking? You're walking towards Christ or you're walking towards self? You're walking towards Christ or you're walking with the world? You're holding hands with the world because that makes you an enemy of God. And stop, please stop trying to justify your ridiculousness. <laughs> Just stop it. Let it go. You're not fooling anybody. You don't even fool guys like me. Not that it matters. Seriously, can you imagine how ridiculous you look to God? And this is what, the 150th time you've done it? And 149 times you fell flat in your face? You idiot. And you're going to try it again, aren't you? You're going to tee it up again. I'm going to shank one in the woods. Four! I'm going to tee another one up. Take a mulligan. That's what people do. You know why? Because those are the same people who are completely arrogant. They don't have the heart of David. They don't want to know the truth about who and what they are. They don't want to know how they've been manipulating and preempting and justifying ungodliness for decades. They don't want to know those things. They don't say in their prayer, um, Lord, deliver me. Show me. No, they pray, Oh, Jesus, this cross is heavy and it hurts. Can you please relieve the pain? And the Spirit's going, Oh, wow. Here we are again. 150 times. And the prayer is still the same. How slow is this person? <laughs> Seriously. What are we praying for? I'm almost letting the whole blog out. But that's obviously what the Spirit's been trying to say. What's really going on? Where are your affections really? Anyways, walking means to have a direction that is proof of our affections for Christ. It also establishes who is sovereign in our lives. Sin splinters the truth by proposing that we can have two sovereigns even simultaneously, and remain pleasing to God. This is what religion supposes, falsely. But as most of you know, the counterfeit, quote, Christian, the counterfeit Christian is perfectly happy with this because it accommodates their flesh. Go to church, you have this sovereign. The rest of the time in your life, you have another sovereign completely. The truth is, up here on the board, I didn't say that Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 24, no one, not some, no one can serve two masters. End of story. You can't have two sovereigns, in other words. You can't. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Because here's what happens. You ready? 
You're looking at Jesus, you're in love with Jesus, you hate the world. Right? Something from the world grabs your attention, you go, <coughs> right? And the more you do this, look at what the hate side of you is doing. Who's the hate side turning towards? Christ. You love this side, you hate this side. That's exactly what Jesus just said. You turn away from me, you're hating me now. You're loving that thing, you're hating on me. You cannot have two masters. Religion proposes you can. That's the great lie. Do this checklist and don't do this one. You're good. That's the great lie. And you know what? I didn't say this, but Jesus despises hypocrisy. Despises hypocrites. Go to John 5.38. John 5.38. Jesus despised these people. Their fruit. What did Genesis 3.15 say? I will put enmity between your seed and hers. Well, who's her seed? Jesus Christ. What is enmity? Animosity. Of course he despises hypocrites. Of course he despises counterfeits, people who play a game. So the big question for all of us is when the hell are we going to stop playing this stupid game? When are we going to all grow up? When are we actually going to bring glory to God? Some of you are like, you know what I'm saying. John 5.38 You do not have His Word abiding in you, but you do not believe Him whom He sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. He's talking about a confused group of people, in other words. People with lists, you know. People who do a lot of that and don't do any of that. You know, people who live religiously. Some of you might be able to relate. Just saying and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. And this is where he makes that statement. You don't have the love. See, with love is affections. He's saying, I know. He says, your affections, your love is toward yourself. You bring glory to yourself by doing all this and not doing this. That's all about you. How about you? Seriously, how about you? How about your little religion that you play? How about that one? As long as nobody... Hey, look, you're doing this, right? You come to church, you have this, you exercise your spiritual gift, you're doing all this stuff, right? As far as anybody else knows, you're not doing any of these other overt things. But your heart, where is it? Where are your affections? Where's your heart? That's between you and the Lord. But don't try, to, don't try to play with him. Don't play games. Up here on the board, without love for God, it is impossible for anyone with a bad root to spring forth good fruit that is pleasing to God. That's what we just read. Love is the principal affection that guides all activities rightly. Without love, even the most noble actions are worthless to God, for they aren't directed towards him. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so that's the polar end. That's the polar end. But the, the general principle remains. Anything to do with the flesh, and we can act carnal, so says the Holy uh, Bible. We can act carnal. We can act just like them. We can jump into the fray. You know what? You cannot please God that way. 
It's impossible. It's impossible for anyone with a bad root to spring forth a good fruit that is pleasing to God. Love is the principal affection that guides all activities rightly. Without love, even the most noble actions are worthless to God, for they aren't directed towards Him. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8. 8. This is opposed to the believer who is functioning with full affection and direction towards God. Up here on the board, we might quote 2 Corinthians 5.9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Like we said earlier. right? That's like the... The, the reason for our existence. Learn what it means to be pleasing to Him. Learn what it means to be pleasing to Him. That's our ambition. I like to think that's my ambition most days. Am I perfect? Nope. Are you perfect? Nope. It means we still have a lot, a long way to go. And that just requires honesty. Therefore, we also have ours as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. So we have to think about this. These are heart issues we are investigating. These are the inward movements, not the outward ones. These are the inward movements, the ones no one else sees. All the little motivations, all the little nuances that make you, you. Because Trust me, I know, I know everyone in here does it, right? What I see right now, I'm looking at every single one of them. That's not you. That's a facade. That's what you want me and everybody else in here to see. And that's the end of it. So, so be it. God sees what's on the inside. Just imagine right now if everybody here saw what was on your inside on the outside. Probably like this. You guys be all over here, be giving each other death stares. I cannot believe you think that way about me. You just sit right there the whole time. I would have moved a long time ago. <laughs> right? I mean, you're all, we all have that ugliness in us. And it's not the new creature. But we all have that ugliness in us. And that's what God is addressing here. Do you make decisions for that ugliness? We are not to identify away from the new creature. If you're saved, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? Oh, that's so awesome. But our faculties are still stained. The vestiges of sin, they're still there. We're encapsulated. We're held hostage by the flesh. And we make terrible decisions. Our, our, our hearts are infected to some degree. Uh, our minds are infected. You know, our bodies are infected. I mean, why does our body react a certain way? Like, Whoa, wait a minute. I don't want this to be going on. You know what I mean? So I'm talking about like, you know, maybe you see a cupcake. Pervs. Right? Sickos. Maybe you see a chocolate chip cupcake. And you're like, but I'm already overweight and my body's, I'm high in cholesterol. And these kinds of things. Why is my body doing this to me? Why does my body want to keep eating cookies? Why does my body want to look at the opposite sex a certain way? I'm already married. Why does my body, I don't know, crave cigarettes or booze or, or, or crack cocaine in Todd's case, right? Why? I mean, why is Todd a crackhead? I don't know. How he survives it, I don't know. 
trying to loosen you up. It's getting kind of tense in here. <laughs> These are heart issues we are investigating. And it's good that you can giggle a little bit because you've got to get that out. You'd be too condemned. We had that discussion in the leadership meeting on Sunday. Um, and all I could say is, like, if this is my leadership team and they're feeling pressed that hard, where a couple of them almost, like, heads almost popped off type situation, do you know what I'm saying? If people are pressed that hard, what is the, what is the rest of the gang doing? There's probably a whole litany of things going on in people's souls. Condemnation, people uh, uh, being and feeling so pressed down that they feel there's no room to grow. Don't get like that. Don't get like that. Jesus knew all of this stuff when he saved you. So just remember that. That's not a license to go out sinning. It's just sort of a sense of relief. Like, hey, listen, you know. So these are hard issues we are investigating. Sin hates what we are doing because the truth is tantamount to light and light decimates darkness every time. Go to 1 John 3.21. 1 John 3.21. So these are hard issues. We have to look deep within ourselves. We have to pray the way David would pray. Show me my heart. Show me my way. If I'm out of whack, show me. Ask, and you shall receive. Ask with proper motivations. You don't receive because your motivations are bad. Because you want stuff, right? I pray for relief from my manufactured counterfeit cross so that I can go out, you ready for this one, and do it again. <laughs> God's like, no, I can't keep doing this. This is dysfunction junction. You want me to relieve your head's over the porcelain bowl again, right? Lord, I'll never do it again. Just help me this one time. If you really did, no hangover. You'd be like, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. You would learn. Anyways, 1 John 3.21. This is what this is about. Where's your heart? Why do you want to do that stuff in the first place? 1 John 3.21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. These are heart issues. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments, you see. And do the things that are pleasing in His sight, you see. You receive when you do things that are pleasing in His sight. When you walk as children of light, you see. You know as well as I know, you know better. You know exactly when you're manipulating. You know exactly when you're justifying. You're not, you know exactly when you're playing all these little games. Part of you hates what's going on right now because sin hates the light. Keep repeating that to yourselves. Go to John 3.19. John 3.19. Sin hates the light. Think about it. That's why you're uncomfortable. Have you, have you been uncomfortable at all? You don't have to answer. But have you in any way, one smidgen, some of you like more than a smidgen, been uncomfortable this evening? You know what that's called? Sin there's only one reason, because there's perfect harmony with God and godly things. Perfect harmony. So if you've had any discomfort whatsoever, you can blame sin for it. John 3.19. John 3.19.
John 3, verse 19. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear. Why? That his deeds will be exposed. That his deeds will be exposed. Elegcho up here on the board in the Greek. Exposed properly to convince with solid, compelling evidence, especially to expose, prove wrong, to connect strongs, reprove, rebuke, discipline, expose, show to be guilty. There it is. I don't want to be shown to be guilty. Arrogance hates the measuring stick. I don't want to be shown that I'm below. That's arrogance. It's all about creature credit with the flesh. I don't want to be shown. I don't want to be exposed like that. Who wants to be exposed like that? Keep plugging my book until some of you read it. Read it. Covert arrogance, hiding out in plain sight. Just start with chapter 3. One little section titled, Arrogance Hates Being Judged. Read it. You might like it. Just saying. You might be asking, I don't know, how far have we strayed from our series topic, the deceitfulness of sin? The answer is not at all. Not even one iota. This has everything to do with the deceitfulness of sin. Everything to do with the deceitfulness of sin. Because that's exactly what, I'm, what we're discovering. It's what I'm teaching. You're deceived. Some of you probably didn't even realize until I just said it that any pain you just suffered tonight was because of sin. Duh. Some of you are like, yeah, you know what? I kind of did manufacture my own cross. I kind of have been complaining and murmuring and supposing that I'm holy when I'm not and, and praying for all the wrong things. I'm not praying for deliverance. I'm just praying for Band-Aids. And I pray for Band-Aids because deep down inside, I just want to keep going with what I've been doing. I don't want to stop living my life because I kind of like it. I like the living in sin. So I, I just want God, you know, can, can you just bring it down a few notches for me? Can you, I mean, you say you love me, so, you know, if you love me, you could bring it down a few notches. You could make it sting a little less. And God's saying, that's not the point. That is not the point. The point is, let's go a little deeper and figure out why that pain's there in the first place. And what kind of lie you've been living. What kind of cross you've been hanging on. It doesn't look anything like my son's. How far have we strayed? Not at all. This is deceit. Is wholly dependent on darkness, you see, but light destroys deceit up here on the board. The nature of sin, sin is inherently insecure, especially around the light. That's why a lot of people squirm when they hear a message like this. Sin is inherently insecure, especially around the light. Doesn't like to be exposed for fear that it is exposed. Fear, insecurity, analogous terms. And by the way, as we've noted, sin is never satisfied with equality or some sort of truce. Sin's intention is to dominate, nothing less. Since we stand in the light, as believers, the only option it has is to masquerade as light, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15, to counterfeit it, to gain our attention, and we might add our affections. Why? Because we know that where our affections lie, there go our direction. And so goes the story. 
So here's where we keep ending up, and I'm almost out of time. I cannot believe it. I'm out of time again. And we just keep getting back to this one spot. I guess that's the way God has it planned, you know. Like, we go out for a little bit, go on a little bus ride, look at some scripture. Hey, look at that. Oh, that hurt. Yep. Look at that. Oh, that was pretty good. Oh, that hurt. That hurt. And then we come back to this one thing again. See, see, see this, this, doesn't, this doesn't say, um, you know, only overt things, does it? It doesn't just say co covert either. It doesn't just say outward. It doesn't just say inward. It just says anything. Any lack of conformity to God's will. That's the definition of sin. Whether active, it doesn't matter. Whatever game you're playing, it does not matter. The, the age-old question, I think I'll end here again. The age-old question is, um, is what you're thinking, doing, behaving like, wanting to behave like, where your affections are. That's the big one. Is that God's will? Does God want your affections where they are today? Where they were today? Where were your affections? It doesn't always have to be other people, by the way. A lot of times it is. It doesn't have to be other. It could be technology. I don't know. Maybe you're a tech, maybe you're a gearhead, a propeller head, and you spend inordinate amounts of time in front of technology. And it's captivated you. Some of you, I don't know, I, I was going to say young people, but video games are catastrophic. Catastrophic. I mean, kids are like out of control. The things that, the, the doctrines that are besetting them, their little malleable souls. Like there's nothing wrong with dragging a cop out of his car beating him and then stealing his car and going on a hell chase. That's what Grand Theft Auto is, by the way. GTA. And they're on like part number, what are they on, Leo? Like seven or five? Yeah, how do you know that? Just saying. <laughs> Booyah! Leo, you sinner. I'm just kidding. Five of these things! Five of these things! Tammy teaches the first grade. Some of the kids are playing it. heck of the parents it's not okay to drag a cop out of his car and beat him and take his car and think it's fun and run people over like that's un that's ungodly right I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's not God's will <laughs> right I'm gonna go out on a limb and say it wasn't God's will for you to buy that kid that game I'm going to go on a limb and say it wasn't God's will for you to buy that game. He didn't give you a job so you could waste your money on games that rot your brain. And some of you like a high flume. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, how about this? How about the fact that you're a slave to that $1,000 iPhone, the one you had to finance? Think about that. Most of us finance our phones. What the? this world come to? I got to finance a phone? And you're a slave. Some of you can't even drive down the road. Oh, 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 oh. Why'd it get so quiet? Everybody was like, cool when I was picking on the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you bummed, you losers. Yeah, you guys are going driving people off the road. 
Oh, but I speak in the mind. Oh, yeah? Here's what you're doing. Yes, yeah, so then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oops, oh, crap, hold on. Yeah, then, oh, crap, period, comma. Oh, man, back up. Yeah, that's safe, too. I'm serious. You think, you think that's what God's will? I'm going to go on a limb and say no. Anything. What's your motivation for all of those things? Are you not satisfied with the life that God has given you outside of bending the rules, so to speak? Are you not satisfied with what God in His divine, sovereign providence in your life? You're not satisfied with that? You've got to have more? You've got to, you know, push the boundary a little bit? You've got to, you know, that 10%? You know how we are. God says, here's the line. You've been doing it since you were a kid. Don't you dare go any closer. You know? And the little, you see them little babies do it. They're this tall. And they look and they're like, with their little pudgy hands, don't you do it. And they look right at you. I did it. <laughs> you do the same thing. Don't you do it. I did it. I get on my watch now. Put my hand up here. Even that. You think God wants me distracted one bit? Nope. Nope. You get the point. Anything. Anything. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to study your word. To set the record straight, Father. Thank you for always being honest with us, even though it stings sometimes. We know you love us with a love that we can't even comprehend. Father, we're just so grateful that you've given us the time and you have the patience for us to learn to appreciate it, learn to appreciate you, and learn to figure out what's pleasing to you. Father, this is our goal. We just ask for your blessings on what we've learned and as we take that out to a lost and dying world, Father, we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.